This is Rob, and this is episode 41 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, I am here with a couple fine gentlemen from Northern Coffee Works out of Minneapolis. I guess it'd be technically downtown. Downtown, downtown da- east. Downtown Minneapolis. So why don't you both introduce yourself, what your role is at Northern Coffee Works, and uh, how long you've been there? Cool. Yeah, my name's George Hadfield. I've uh, I'm a manager and also a roaster at Northern Coffee Works, and I've been there since the beginning of the company. It's been about three years and. Before that, I was with our sibling business, Angry Catfish, since 2011. Cool. Uh, my name's Brad Smith. I've been with Northern for just under a year. I wear a lot of hats. So I'm, uh, I'm a roaster, barista. I do a lot of the social media and content creation stuff. Um, a little of everything, anything I'm asked to do. I thought you literally meant like a lot of hats. I was like, me yeah. too. I love hats. Like yeah. I, I'm really, I also love hats. I'm also yeah. rarely never wearing yeah. a hat. Uh, and so the... Relationships, because I've been going to Angry Catfish for years. I mean, for those who are listening that don't know, Angry Catfish is this awesome shop and bike shop in St. Paul. And so the relationship between Northern Coffee Works and Angry Catfish, how does that work? Yeah, so it's the same ownership, uh, same partnership that is kind of over the umbrella of the companies. There's Angry Catfish uh, that's been around for about 10 years. it's actually in Minneapolis. It's in South Minneapolis by Lake Hiawatha. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's a cafe in there. It's a bike shop. And then uh, the other companies involved, there's Mend. That's like a fly fishing kind of men's apparel store. And then there's Northern Frameworks. That's a uh, bike company. And then Northern Coffee Works. So they're all kind of owned by the same folks. And so Angry Catfish yeah. is kind of the first of the, all those businesses to yeah. arise. Yeah. I think Angry yeah. Catfish is an awesome example of a coffee shop within another business. Even if you want to call yeah. it that, I think that's generally how people phrase it. Yeah. But it's if you talk to bikers, it's a bike shop that serves coffee. And if you talk to coffee nerds like myself, it's a yeah. it's a coffee shop. And I think there's some like bikes in the back or something that yep. they sell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And with Angry Catfish, how long were you there before Northern Coffee Works got started? And what was the process that began northern coffee works inception well uh so yeah i started in 2011 at angry catfish as a part-time barista and eventually my role kind of grew to managing the cafe there and uh our owner josh wanted to branch out and have a place where he could serve food and beer and wine and also roast coffee so that's kind of where northern coffee works jumped off from there um we found this really cool spot in downtown east minneapolis and uh, that's when the cafe opened about three years ago yeah, it's a beautiful yeah. space with an awesome food program. That's what really jumped off to me that when I went there the first time is the food program so simple but really, really well yeah. executed. Yeah. And so you're roasting now. Yeah. What was that process like? How did you go from jumping over to Northern Coffee Works to begin the, that roasting process? Well, uh, that's a pretty new process for us, actually. Both Brad and I uh, just took yeah. over the roasting program. Uh, we had an awesome roaster, Caitlin Jabrixio, who has moved on from the company, and she just trained us in. So this is a new adventure for both of us. With your coffee program, what kind of coffees are you looking to roast? Um, I'll preface it with a question here because I think this is a really good one that somebody asked me and it kind of got me rattled where it's like, do you roast coffees where you're trying to please as many people as possible? Or do you roast coffees that are going to like really get a small group of people like really pumped? Yeah, Uh, I think, for both of us, we really want to reach as wide an audience as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
I remember really fondly the first time I tried like an Ethiopian natural and I was like, oh, I can taste the blueberries. And it was like the first like that is a different coffee. Um, and so like I want to give as many people as possible that experience of like that introduction into like craft coffee and like different coffees. I think we have kind of a niche market of like outdoor enthusiasts because we were born out of a bike shop and we have a lot of like our owners really into fly fishing and um, yeah, we sell at Midwest Mountaineering. We sell at Angry Catfish. Uh, we reached out to some others. So like outdoor enthusiasts are kind of like our niche. Um, a lot of them are super really into coffee and some are not. There is this yeah. weird yeah. cross pollination that there's, I don't know what the explanation is, but yeah. people who are into outdoor activities, almost always, I'm just going to assume yeah. they have a good taste in coffee. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're doing some of the content you mentioned. Yep. And so are you doing the photography and because I have to say that the Northern coffee works like branding and Instagram page and tying in that outdoor while also promoting the coffee is really extremely well done. Yeah. So I kind of assemble the Instagram page and put it all together, but it's like our owner, Josh goes on trips all the time. So he's taking a lot of those outdoor photos and then our bags, our cups, a lot of that stuff has all been designed by local artists. So it's kind of my job is more like grabbing all of this content that's been created and putting it all together. How often are you creating new coffees and rotating single origins versus having a blend that you're trying to match a profile to keep it consistent for the consumer throughout the year? Well, right now we have three blends. Um, we we have one single origin and three blends, and we're kind of looking to expand our offerings, so we'll probably put out another single origin soon. But, yeah, we want to have that nice range of, of blends for different tastes, different palettes, and then have some single origin coffees for people to dig into and um, explore that side as well. What's your favorite coffee you're roasting right now? Oh, man, it's a, it's a toss-up. We have a single origin Ethiopia Leo Turaga right now, really tasty. And then I love our Juniper blend. Um, that one, we kind of, we use it for espresso at the cafe, but it makes a really sweet pour over. Nice. Yeah. One thing about having a cafe and then starting a roasting program is how do you decide the balance in between marketing as a roaster? Here's our whole beans. You can purchase these whole beans versus driving traffic to the cafe. And again, this is being recorded August 3rd. Yeah. So COVID's in the middle mm -hmm. and I've, I've been yep. keeping track of what you all been doing. It looks like you're just opening up and trying to navigate the landscape. So I'm sure right now is focused on letting people know we're open. Mm -hmm. but let's pretend this wasn't happening. <laughs> how, how do you kind of make that balance of how much we're communicating about whole beans and we're a coffee roaster and really promoting that side versus we're a cafe, come and try our specialty drinks. Yeah, I think I was just going to say like COVID-19 kind of decided that balance <laughs> yeah. for us where we've been like focused really intently on like roasting and expanding our wholesale program lately. So we just reopened the cafe mm -hmm. um, with a very streamlined menu, um, trying to be as simple and cost effective as possible with our cafe service right now. Um, but really trying to expand the wholesale program is like, I think where a lot of our focus is at. And so let's dig into both of your, I always hate saying this, but I, origin story here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how you got into coffee? What, so let's, we'll, we'll start with you that sure. like, how did you find coffee? What attracted you to it? And why did you stay? Because yeah. for those of us who have worked barista jobs, it's 
people are either like, this is my favorite thing ever, or they go, this is not what I expected. Because you, you yeah. see baristas and you're like, oh, this is kind of sexy. Like yeah. you got yeah. making cool lattes and do the art thing. And then people are going to, it's going to be amazing. And then you realize most of it is just pumping out drinks during high volume or standing around waiting for that next high volume yep. and then wondering why you're hoping for it. And so I, I'm always curious of people who start, especially on the service side, that stay in it. So what was it that led you to Angry Catfish and what made you want to stay? Yeah, my first job in coffee was with Caribou, a part-time barista job in the early 2000s. And it was, uh, I was just looking for a part-time job to do during the day while I, I was playing music at night. So I'm a bass player and I was playing in bands at night. Making coffee during the day seemed like the perfect side gig. So I was doing that. Um, when I found Angry Catfish, uh, that was my first exposure to specialty coffee, and it kind of blew my mind. And they were making pour-overs, working with Intelligentsia, and it kind of opened up this whole new world. Like, I'll, I already loved coffee, but that was like, dang, coffee can be so good. Do you and, remember what that first cup or shot was? Uh, that I don't remember the origin. I remember when I went into interview there, and I, I kind of realized how hardcore they were about coffee, and it really opened the doors for me, and they were like... It made me a pour over for the interview, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I have to work here and figure this out. That's the funny thing is yeah. once you're in the specialty coffee world, you're like, everybody's at least tried this at some point, and you realize it's not the case with most people. Even people who have come to your cafe probably are getting a drink that they are trying to resemble as closely to their normal caribou or Starbucks yeah. order, whether it's a latte or a specialty drink like that. And you, you realize quickly that a lot of people haven't had a straight up shot of espresso or a, a black coffee. So they don't know what it is. So they might have that latte and be like, that was incredible. Yeah. These guys make great drinks. And that, how, to drive that forward, it's, like, it's the coffee that's in it that's causing that to happen. So you interview with a Angry Catfish. Yeah. You get the job as a, a barista there. Mm -hmm. And where does it go from there? Yeah. So I was still working part time while I was playing gigs at night. And then, uh, you know, a few years down the line, I was uh, an opportunity arose to manage the cafe, and I kind of jumped at it because I had been getting more and more into coffee, and uh, so I started managing the cafe from there. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And when when Northern Coffee Works was slated to open, I jumped over there and was kind of managing both spots. So, what was it like making that jump from barista to manager? I, I've heard horror stories of people realizing that all of a sudden, oh shoot, I have to <laughs> manage people that I was working with like yeah. a week ago, and it can be a weird shift. What, what was that like? That process like for you? Uh, it was a weird shift, and you know, at the same time, I was friends with everybody on staff, so mm -hmm. everyone was cool with it. Um, I feel like there was a mutual respect, but. Yeah, it's sort of like all of a sudden, you're like, I have to show up on time now. Can't be late for my shifts. I got to make the schedule. I have to order everything. Uh, so a lot of responsibility, but I got used to it after a while. With Northern Coffee Works, what went into the decision to not open Angry Catfish 2.0 or something along those lines? Because Angry Catfish has an incredible reputation. Everybody that goes there absolutely seems to love it, as I do. Yeah. What went into the process of starting an entirely new brand when you probably have such a great brand equity with Angry Catfish? Um, you know, ultimately, I think that's a question for Josh, our mm -hmm. owner. I mean, Angry Catfish, I think, was a name they sort of came up with on a whim 10 years ago for the bike shop. And he was looking to do something like a little bit different with the branding. So, yeah, they sort of developed a new brand with it. And I think it's cool, but yeah, some some people uh, are attached to that Angry Catfish brand as well. So, yeah, you, you hear some people that 
because my take on it was it seems like Angry Catfish is the cafe bike shop. Yeah. And so it could be tough to rebrand for coffee and say like we are now a roaster and cafe oh and kind of bike shop too and so that that's that made sense to me and the the branding behind northern coffee works is very clean very beautiful and it's uh, maybe a little easier to brand for something that is an entirely new like build out from scratch versus trying to tie it in to angry catfish for sure how's it been starting to roast was it difficult to pick up and how, what was the training process like to go from never having roasted before to feeling comfortable enough to be able to take over the program? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's still a learning process. We have so much to learn and grow from. Um, I think Caitlin did a good job kind of teaching us how to use the roaster. I'd sort of been in the same room as her roasting and working at for a long time. And then to actually step behind the roaster was pretty nerve wracking at first, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of a learning process and super fun. And, it, you know, it's just like a whole new world to dive in with coffee. So I'm enjoying it. You, you all are roasting on a Loring, right? Mm-hmm. Those things are sweet. It's sweet. How much of the I've, – I've not roasted on a Loring, but I've shadowed someone who roasted on it. And what was impressive to me is the ability to, like, program it, that we have this profile of a coffee and you have the program built and there's a lot of automation. And then the job of the roaster is really to make sure that the variables are not getting out of control with the roasting. It's like, am I kind of on the, the right vein of thought there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's tons of capabilities within the roaster. I mean, we've we've mostly been doing everything manual to this point. We haven't played around with mm-hmm. running too many profile roasts, but that's definitely something we want to experiment with. But it's, it's also nice to have some control, you know? Yeah. After you roast, what kind of quality control procedures are you doing? Because I'm always really curious about this on the roaster side because it seems like everybody has a pretty standard, like, cupping protocol, but I'm curious if there's anything unique that you do with cupping or how you're evaluating the coffees that you're roasting for. Not only, like, does this taste good on its own, but in terms of quality and consistency. Yeah, we, we try to take samples of all of our blends – um, as a blend and also as the components, and then we always cup them, you know, each component and also the blend uh, just to do quality control, make sure it's tasting the way we want it to taste and is what we're shooting for. Pretty basic, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll try stuff on different brew methods too. Like we'll cup something and then we'll try it as a pour over, like, you know, brew it on a Kalita wave. Yeah. We'll bl- brew it as a batch brew on the Fetco, try pull a shot of it, you know. Yeah, that's a really important one because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you're only cupping, you're like, no one's drinking coffee mm-hmm. like this. So <laughs> something could cup beautifully and then you brew it even yeah. in just like a Mr. Coffee because you have to realize that most yeah. people are probably brewing it that way. That yeah. if it's tasting really bad on that, it's like, or at least not as good as you might think that multiple brew methods as a part of your quality control procedures, I think is really important. Some uh, Jeff, our head roaster started doing recently that I think is like, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it prior to it, but he started throwing in, he, he'll just buy coffees from his favorite roasters around the country. Just anybody he knows that has a great reputation and throw them into the mix. Because what, what he found was when it's only our coffees that you're cupping, you're comparing our coffees against our coffees. And then you can, you're almost dialing in a very specific profile. And then all of a sudden you throw in someone else's coffee and you get a flavor profile that is really distinct to them. Like I, I know like heart roasters is one he just threw out of Portland and they have a very distinct, like when you taste some of their coffees, you go, this is just distinctly heart. 
And so he's been tasting against them to be like, what is it about that that I really like? Is it something we want to incorporate or is it something that is distinctly them and we want to keep it that way? Have you, have you ever done anything like that in terms of cupping? We, we got some, we yeah, we got some samples from, I forget what they were called. Crescendo? Crescendo. We just got this like small uh, bag of uh, Papua New Guinea that they had roasted up and we happened to be cupping the Papua New Guinea in one of our blends that day. So we just kind of compared them alongside and were able to be like, do I like what they're doing? Do I like what we're doing better? Do I think we could do something even different yeah. than both of these? You know, sort of like just comparing. Yeah, it, it was a cool practice, I think. So I'm glad you guys are doing that as well. I mean, I, it's something I want to try more of and, you know, throw some other coffees on the table, whether it's something from Intelli or Onyx or Ruby or any of these other roasters that we've kind of worked with in the past. How's the reception been to launching your coffee program? Again, referencing back to being in the specialty coffee mm. community, you go, oh, everybody's tried this coffee. Everybody's had coffee like this. They're aware of it. And then you realize, oh, do, 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 I, I'll ask first, do you, do you all offer a dark roast? No, um, our newest blend, Cabin Vibes, is a little closer to the dark yeah. roast world without like going in the super smoky realm. Yeah, yeah we, have, we haven't gone to second crack yeah. with any of our coffees. Yeah, and that's the one where yep. someone goes, I want a dark roast. You go, Here's what you should get if you like dark roast. And yeah. that's it's important to note because so many people come in asking for it and then they try something that's not at all dark roast and they're like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. And yep. you go, oh, okay. It's been yeah. so many years of just being the only descriptor of a coffee is light, medium, yep. dark, yeah. that they tasted something at one point that they go, I like this quality of this coffee mm-hmm. and I will forever ask for dark and I will not be told that this is not what I like because of this cup of coffee. <laughs> and so it's almost like if someone asks for dark roast, you just go, Try this yeah. and hope they yeah. like it. Uh, and so, where I was going with that is, how has the reception been? Have you is do you get any of that unexpected experience of someone coming into the cafe, asking for a cup of coffee and getting something either extre- where it's an extremely positive experience or what's wrong with this? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I think we've got oh. We've got some really good blends that appeal to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So like our Boundary Waters blend is like, it's a it's a Guatemala, Papua New Guinea blend. It's really medium. It's got a nice body. If you like a dark roast, you're going to like it. But if it also has this like, um, what is it, like a white grape note yeah. in it that is really bright on top. It's a really well-constructed blend, and Caitlin did that way before we started taking over the roasting program. And it's... It's just a nice coffee that appeals to anybody. Like, I know if someone walked into my cafe and asked for a dark roast, I could give them that, and they would like it. And if someone came in and asked for a light roast, I could give them that, and they would like it. We approach it the same way. We have our our one, we call it Classic Joe, and that's the one that if somebody's like, I don't know what I want. I was like, what do you typically drink? They're like, I don't know, whatever. You're like, all right, try this one. Versus if they're like, well, it depends where I, you know, the the water profile that I'm using. It's like, okay, we got coffees for that too. But it's, I think that's really important because when I was getting into specialty coffee, it was really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And you might've had the same experience walking into Angry Catfish that first day where I was like, I, I, I was told this place was really good. I get a cup of coffee like yeah what do you want I was like I don't know yeah <laughs> what do you like I don't I really don't know what I like and that's why I'm here is because I need to figure it out and so having I, I call them gateway coffees 
this coffee that someone tries and goes, oh, well, that's really good. Now I want to know why. Now I want to know what else is out there. And then, you know, a couple of years from now, they'll be at the place where they're like, well, if it's not, if it doesn't have bright acidity that's mm-hmm. ripping my face off, I'm not even going to touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all, you all involved in the, like the beverage, the uh, kind of menu, menu creation? Because I think you all have a really unique menu that seems to rotate quite often with the seasons and a lot of new offerings coming out constantly. What's the process like as seasons are changing where you are looking at not just which coffees are we roasting, but which beverages do you offer? Do you look at existing trends and say, we need to have this? Or do you go, we need to separate ourselves from the competition by having super unique, different, like unexpected drinks? Um. I mean, we definitely try to be seasonal with the ingredients and the flavors, you know, um, if it's spring, like doing something maybe more floral or doing something more like warming spices or something like that in the winter. And I'd say we kind of go by season with that sort of stuff, but yeah, definitely trying to do something that's going to complement the coffees, but also be interesting, maybe be something people haven't tried before. With a different customer base between Northern Coffee Works being in downtown Minneapolis and being in South Minneapolis, is it a similar menu or do you cater it more to the neighborhood that you're in? Yeah, we had had the same menu at both cafes for months before COVID. (laughs) So let's touch on that. So pre-COVID, then March hits, March 16th, not that I remember the date. Everything closes down. How have you all been able to react since that has gone down? Uh, continued roasting. I mean, that was that became the focus was like roasting uh, online orders for our customers. Right away, we started doing deliveries, which was interesting. Uh, Caitlin and myself were like driving all over town, delivering people bags of coffee, and we bottled up cold brew and stuff like that, just kind of doing anything we could to sort of keep the ball rolling. Um then we were able to bring uh, Bradley back in to start helping with roasting and doing social media. And now just last week, we opened the front door to just serve drinks, like to-go. You know, you can walk up to the door and get mm-hmm. to-go drinks. So it's been a, an evolution here. And it's it's fun to start seeing the neighborhood come back out again yeah. and serve people drinks and, like, see people. So How's the customer response been to that, the, the walk-up door? The people pretty is pretty intuitive to figure out or people had problems with it? Yeah, downtown east, our location is surrounded by a lot of kind of high-rise apartment buildings, and I think a lot of our former customers were really stoked. You know, people who just kind of like walk downstairs and walk across the street Mm -hmm. normally can do that again, and I think a lot of our response has been like, we get it, like this is what places have to do. We're glad you're doing something. We're glad you're here. Yeah, people are super happy that we're open again. It's fun. That, that's been kind of the one of the few upsides to this whole thing is when it happened, there was this immediate reaction of customers to saying we need to find local businesses and support. Mm-hmm. And also just an extreme level of understanding, mostly from mm-hmm. people about what's going on. And that, I mean, you see it with every business that you're trying to adapt so quickly and you want to provide the best customer service at all times. And you want to give this customer facing thing of like, things are good. We're fine. We're all good. Like nothing's no need to worry. Like we're, we're good. And then on the backside, you're like, what's the new regulation that's in this week? Ah, you got to shift and start an entirely new thing. And so having the cafe side, it's got to be an even added layer of how to give a great customer experience, be able to serve a menu that keeps people safe but also is still a good experience. Mm-hmm. 
Did you change your menu at all to uh, adhere to the to-go menu? Did you simplify it or change how you're doing things? Obviously, to-go. Did that influence what your beverage selections are? Yeah, yeah, we simplified it. Um, you know, we've got kind of all the staples in there, but right now we're we're not doing a food program. We're just doing espresso drinks, pour over, batch brew, uh, keeping the flavor super simple, honey and maple, smoked sea salt, that kind of stuff. Um, and, we, you know, part of the reason for that is because it's just Brad and I right now, so we're also trying to roast. We're trying to do quality control and cupping and then also serve people when they walk up to the door. So <laughs> that's it, like I'm trying to juggle a few things right now. With the increase of home consumption of coffee, it's it's got to be an interesting thing. I'm sure your online sales picked up quite a bit versus what they were when COVID went down. Are you finding people kind of know how to brew at home and you're not getting a lot of questions? Or did you find an increased need to not only here are the beans, but also here's what you do with them? <laughs> um, I haven't got a ton of people reaching out to us for, for brewing advice. Um, occasionally but how's how's that been going for you guys it's interesting yeah. uh we definitely market uh our the way we communicate and the the verbiage we use and the flavor descriptors we keep very very simple because i'm i'm looking to attract people into specialty mm. coffee just like you said we're yeah. trying we, we want coffees that if someone reaches out and says i've never had specialty coffee i've got one or two for you in mind that you should try this first and then let's go from there and with the huge uptick in online ordering Sometimes, this might sound mean, but there are things that you're like, wait, you don't know how to do that? Yeah. But then I think back to myself before specialty coffee, mm. and I'm like, oh, yeah, I definitely didn't yeah. know how to do that yeah. before all this. And so we've just been trying to communicate a lot more on what goes into a cup of coffee. And honestly, it kind of led to the creation of this podcast studio that this will help us be able to do more videos easily, have a space that if we have to record something. But things we're, we're trying to basically build it from the ground up of like, Here's advice. If you're brewing at home, the first thing you should buy. Here's the second thing you should buy. And then, like, you're good there. So, like, gr I always say grinder. Like, grinder is the first thing you should buy. Yep. By far is a good burr grinder. Because so many people are like, I can't. The, the craziest thing I remember is if you have a blade grinder, you literally can't do pour over. Because if you grind it for too long, the fines are too fine. And then the water's just <laughs> mm -hmm. sitting there. And yep. I'm like, I don't get this pour over thing. It sucks. Yep. I've been sitting here for eight minutes waiting for this water yep. to go through. So grinder from consistency, but even just being able to do the stuff you might want to do. And so that's kind of how we've reacted is putting out a lot more videos. And I used to be with videos that it's like, oh, this needs to be really high production value. But then I'm like, eh, people kind of just want the info. So yeah. at least now if someone asks, what do I do? I can send them a video of like, here yeah. would be my advice versus yeah. and, you know, hopefully go back and increase the quality of some of the videos that are yeah. up there. But uh yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely cool that people are exploring new brew methods. It seems like we're selling more of our like brewing equipment, like we'll, you know, Kalita waves and Chemexes and stuff like that. So hopefully people are at home messing around with pour overs and trying out new stuff. It'll be interesting to see how this changes consumption of coffee overall yeah. moving forward, because I have to imagine a lot of people, if they started brewing at home and had some success, that'll dramatically change how, how they drink coffee. Yeah. That if, because before COVID, I think the my realistic take on specialty coffee and like brewing pour over and manual brewing is most people are not going to do it every day. It's like a weekend thing. And so I was like, okay, how do we become like that weekend treat? And then 
you know, do your, honestly, like most people like Keurig or whatever's fast mm-hmm. or just go getting uh, office, office coffee for free. And then now I think it's going to shift where people are like, oh, I've been brewing coffee because I had to. And now it's kind of a habit. Yeah. And so I, I, it'll be really interesting to see where it goes from here. But yeah. <laughs> um, question for you guys, you're in a lot of grocery stores, yeah. right? How has that been? How have you been seeing the sales at grocery chains and whatnot with your coffees? Yes. Yeah, so the wholesale cha- uh, channels we're in is basically like when we launched in 2018. So I come from a beer background with Sam Adams and I was in like Illinois and uh, Missouri for like four years and they can sell beer and grocery. And so grocery was where I kind of knew best. And so I said, this is going to be where we focus first. And so that was kind of our first channel. And then we started picking up a few cafes and uh, the grocery side of things has been awesome from a visibility standpoint that if you want to find our coffees, we don't have a cafe. So if you want to find our coffees, we're somewhere within a few miles of where you live now, which was huge for us. And then just brand recognition. So when COVID goes down, everything gets shut down and immediately everybody decides on their own that there's a food shortage, which there wasn't. The supply Mm. chain was not affected within, like there was no food shortage. There's no toilet paper shortage, but people made a run on grocery stores. And, you know, understandably so when you look at it. And our sales like doubled for like two weeks. And then people caught up and realized, oh, there is no food shortage. There's no toilet paper shortage. I now have enough coffee for three months and enough toilet paper for three years. And then they kind of dipped for two weeks. And then they really normalized back uh, with a slight increase, I think, because more people are getting whole beans to brew at home. Uh, But it's... There's certain products, I think, that especially with the closing of restaurants and stuff that a lot of food spiked like almost permanently because people are working from home. And and so overall, it was a lift, but definitely not enough to offset the rest of the business that just disappeared. How much of, uh, I guess, what percentage are you back to now-ish, if you know, of like, pre-COVID to now opening your doors? How, how hard has it been to get people to realize you're open and get the foot traffic back to your door? Um, it's a little early to say. I mean, we, we've we done two days of service yeah. so far. We just yeah. th- <laughs> Thursday yeah. and Friday, uh, you know. I saw the post, and I yeah. guess I didn't look at the date. <laughs> so it'll, we'll have to give it a few weeks and mm-hmm. kind of see. But mm-hmm. um, one thing that's been great is that Angry Catfish, they sell our whole beans there, and they've just been super busy, I think. Um, since this whole thing went down. Uh, so people are buying our beans like crazy over there. That is one of the huge advantages of having a storefront too, is like having the breeze to be the expert and be able to, if someone comes in, which coffee do I get? Yeah. They can guide them and get them a great experience versus like we have our website and hopefully the descriptions are good enough, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's dive into cafe side of it. Cause we don't have one. And I, I, I know nothing about like the cafe world. I've worked in one, but that's really mm. about it. How hard was it shifting from Angry Catfish, which has been around for 10 years, uh, to opening Northern Coffee Works, discovering an entirely new customer base, and not only picking up new customers, but also retaining customers? Uh, Yeah, it's been a big challenge. You know, a whole new neighborhood, you know, different, totally different vibe. It's like Angry Catfish is like little neighborhood spot um, that's been around forever. The, The cafe downtown is like, kind of in an upcoming neighborhood. There's a lot of businesses around there, but um, 
you know, really it's, we've just been trying to get the word out for the past three years and the, the COVID thing hasn't helped much with that, but, um, the neighborhood's definitely growing and I feel like people are starting to recognize the brand and the coffee and stuff. What was really cool to me, and I went to a couple of them, were the events you were doing, again, all pre-COVID, pretend it never happened. Like you did the taco pop-ups with, uh, was it Jorge Guzman? Yeah. Yeah, so you had the the pop-ups with Jorge Guzman and all these really cool like one-night-only events that you don't see cafes doing very much because it's like, oh, we're closed, and then it's like, wait, we have this really cool building in an awesome location. How do we get people here? How how did you decide which events you're doing and, and are you looking when things open back up to continue doing things like that? Oh yeah, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, those events, uh, we were just trying out different things, you know, have, uh, we had our friends K Bracho come do empanada pop-ups and stuff like that. So trying to collaborate with other people locally and bring folks in and just kind of see what sticks and what brings people out. Cause we kind of discovered in that neighborhood, it really gets quiet, like in the evening, um, you know, we were expecting it to be a place people might want to hang out late at night and drink beer. And then as time went on, we we were only open till three because it just sort of gets dead down there. Mm -hmm. So um, the events were a fun way to get people out and see the cafe in the evening time and try sort of a different vibe in the cafe. So with the events, did you see it was mostly regulars that you recognize as customers or do you see a lot of new faces? Oh, a lot of new faces and also, you know, regulars and our, our neighborhood folks we see every day and then people from Angry Catfish and all the you know, the cyclists and the mechanics would come down for that. So it was really kind of a cool merging of different community. Because that's what was really cool is these yeah. events you're doing is with people who already have their own following. So I have to imagine that doing events with people that aren't even within the coffee world would be big for driving new foot traffic. I thought that was really impactful. I mean, so many people would, were inviting me to that. And I'm like, oh, like, how do you know about this place? I thought I only knew about this place right now. And those events can be really impactful to find people outside of the coffee world yep. doing really cool things that will attract people. Because I always say it that it's like, we're not just looking for high-end coffee drinkers. We're looking for people who like things that taste good. <laughs> and so yeah, like, yeah. if you're a person that you think actively about trying to find things that taste good, you probably would like coffee that tastes really good. And events like that have always been really exciting to me. Yeah. Like yeah. we did, we did one at Lynn Lake brewery last year with like a, <clears throat> with a, uh, coffee beer tap takeover where we got a bunch of different roasters and we had like four coffee beers on tap. And so it was like, come try these beers, free coffee samples. And then that's how you trick them is you're like, yeah. it's a coffee event, but it's, you don't know that it's a beer mm -hmm. event. Come try these. And then we're going to yep. trick you and learn about coffee. Yeah. That's super fun. We're, we're fortunate enough to be next door to day block downtown and they've done oh, some, yeah. some collaborations with us. So. Yeah, same thing. It's like get some of those beer drinkers interested in specialty coffee. Have you been able to map out what you're looking to do with the roasting program or has the past six months now really kind of changed and just trying to react during this time? Uh, thankfully, Caitlin had really built a, a really sustainable program. Um, so she kind of trained us on how to continue that and then also how to develop new coffees. So we've continued all of the blends that we were doing before and then ha we've been able to launch a new blend and a new single origin since. Um, so, yeah, Caitlin really laid a foundation of, like, here is a very baseline single origin curve. So when you get a single origin, you can do a small batch, you can roast it along this curve, see if it is good or if it sucks, and then, like, change variables from there. And then that's that's kind of really laid a foundation for us to be able to develop new coffees. I think we want to 
do more single origins, but I don't think we have any intention of dropping the blends we're doing mm-hmm. and yeah, just kind of growing from there. Is roasting something you actively were seeking out to do? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you as well? Um, I was interested in I didn't see it happening at this mm-hmm. point, but I'm glad it did. So, I love that these are opposite answers, yeah, basically, yeah. because I think that's that's what you hear about a lot of people who roast, mm-hmm. <clears throat> especially with Dunn Brothers in town. It's a lot of people are just like, oh, I worked at a Dunn Brothers. Somebody quit. Yeah. I had to do it, and then it turned out I loved it. Yeah. Or people like yourself where it's like, oh, no, I always knew I wanted to roast. I was doing anything to get mm-hmm. behind the roaster. What advice do you have for someone who is in that position, that they're actively seeking out wanting to be a roaster, uh, maybe seeking out shops with a roasting program to be able to do that. What advice do you have for someone that's in that position that they have no experience, but it's something they ultimately want to pursue? Yeah, and I, I think for that, you'd have to go back to like how I got into coffee in the first place. Let's go to that. Yeah. Uh, so I I was in college. Um, I My parents are actually tea drinkers, hmm. so I didn't grow up drinking coffee at all. Um, when When I was in college, I was drinking a lot of like chai or I would get like caramel macchiatos and that, like that sort of thing. Um, but I had the, I had a resident director in college, um, who was really into home roasting. And so that was kind of, I was an RA, so I had one-on-ones with him every week. And one of the things we started doing was roasting coffee together. We'd just sit out back behind the dorm with this little like home roaster. We'd roast up. It was almost always like in Ethiopia. Uh, that was kind of his go-to. When you learned he was doing that, did you think it was really cool, or you're like, this guy's I thought cool. it was really cool. Okay, because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of one of the two, you're like, yeah. mm, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I think it can go either way. But yeah. I was like, I was interested in coffee and tea, and I drank a lot of coffee because I was in college. And Sometimes not growing yeah. up with a coffee-drinking yeah. family is an advantage because yeah. if you're young and your parents are like, all right, you want to try coffee? Try this, and they give you a couple Folgers. You're like, I hate this. I'm never going to do this. Yeah. So graduated college, there was a small shop in town that had just had a new owner take over. Um, really small shop. They were open 8 a.m. to 5 every day. They only did V60 pour overs. They didn't even do batch brew. They were just like such a small like niche thing. And it was two blocks away from campus, owned by a professor who hired some people to run it for him. Really small operation. Then uh, my friend Steve, who's still the owner, took it over really kind of expanded it. They have like a full food program now, and um, and they partnered with Duluth Coffee Company. Nice. So when I graduated college, I was looking for a job. I was staying in town. This is in Orange City, Iowa, mm-hmm. really small town. Um, and I had some friends who were going to be like fifth years. We were living in a house off campus together and just kind of hanging out. I was looking for a stopgap job before going to like grad school or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve said to me like, I've got 17 hours a week. I don't pay very well, but it's yours if you want it. Because I was just, I had done some home roasting. And what a sexy offer yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had done some home roasting, and I was interested in coffee, and I needed experience. So I uh, worked part-time, eventually went into full-time, and took over social media there, uh, built up the social media accounts, and are following quite a bit. And then I ended up working there four years before... I moved to West Michigan to live close to my fiance at the time, my wife now. Hmm. Um, she was in grad school. And I worked at a shop called Lemon Jellos in Holland, Michigan. It's a really high volume shop. If you if if you're from West Michigan, you know Lemon Jellos okay. sort of thing. Like it's 
uh, Holland, Michigan. It's a tourist town. What kind of a coffee Super. program? Like high end coffee or high end coffee? Yeah, yeah. I think when they started, it was it was not high end coffee. I think it was a lot more like smoothies, and then here's just like some drinks, and you know we're downtown, so they made a lot of money mm-hmm. in a tourist town. And then over time, uh, the owner there was involved with the Barista Guild. He did a lot of consulting, and he just kind of built up that program into being more of a high end coffee program we served madcap and another small roaster nice. called uh stovetop roasters nice so and fast forward moved to minneapolis got married started at northern and northern when i interviewed just kind of gave off like i knew i wanted to work at a roastery because i wanted to get into roasting mm-hmm. and it gave off uh kind of a go get em tiger vibe it's like this is a lot smaller than go get em obviously but like I'm on Instagram. I follow a lot of coffee roasters and their programs. And they out of LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like I liked the vibe. I liked kind of the setup, and I knew I wanted to work there. So started as a barista, and now I'm roasting too. When you started as a barista, did you make it clear my ultimate goal is I want to roast? No. Okay. Not at all. I I think the best thing I did was learn as much as I can, as often as I could, and try to make myself not expendable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's at every job I've ever been in. It's just like be open to new information, be open to opportunities and like hustle and do stuff. And then just start dropping hints like if if something opened up. Yeah. Is that kind of how you approach it? Yeah. Basically I, I told Caitlin shortly after I'd started, like if you ever need help in the roastery, if you need help sweeping the floor in the roastery, Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Like I just want to get in. I want to learn. I've heard that from a few different people that, it's not a great strategy to walk in and be like, I want to be the roaster. Cause then the roaster's like, Oh, that's my job. So <laughs> no, like that's not yeah. cool. He basically yeah. like walking into a small business, be like, I want your job. And you're yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to walk in with humility and say like, I want a job first and foremost. I would say that's probably true. And, with a lot of things. <laughs> and well, then to just slowly be like, I want to learn more stuff. Yeah. Funny part about this story is our former roaster, Caitlin, was allergic to green coffee, so she needed somebody to batch the green coffee for her. That's got to be <laughs> one of the only cases of that in the industry. <laughs> That's crazy. And so going from sweeping floors mm-hmm. to roasting, was it what you expected? Is starting to roast more and now being a part of the regular roasting program, is it what you expected being on the other side, on the barista side? I think a lot of the stuff I expected, I expected some heavy lifting. Um, I expected cleaning up the roastery. I expected you know, a lot of stuff. I think batching coffees ahead of time gave me a, a peek into what a lot of the job is, which mm-hmm. is just like lifting stuff and moving stuff and organizing stuff and putting it in bags. Um, the actual roasting part of it, I think, ended up being, I was intimidated going in and ended up being easier than I expected. Yeah. Because the luring just makes it so like. It's, I think a lot of people look at it, same, same kind of conundrum as looking at a barista. You're like, oh, this is a sexy job. Look at this cool Instagram picture. That looks dope. I want to do that. Most of roasting is pretty tedious. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of just hard work and like tedious stuff. Like you were saying, like proper cleaning of everything, Mm -hmm. lifting and measuring and weighing. And then the post analysis, how much moisture did we lose? And then cupping. And so most of roasting is not roasting. And like even roasting itself, like looks really cool when you're doing it. But a lot of it is like very meticulous kind of, you're just kind of waiting. Yeah. You're you're like (laughs) waiting and it's just like taking notes. And so if you're telling someone like, Hey man, I've got a job for you. 
that you can take a lot of notes, do a lot of cleaning, and I'll basically just do the same repetitive things over and over and over until you get better. Do you want to do that? They're like, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> what was your experience like? So you, you said you're working at the Angry Catfish, get over to Northern Coffee Works, and how do you begin roasting yourself? Uh, yeah, so with the beginning of COVID and the cafe shutting down, my job quickly changed mm -hmm. from managing a staff and, um, you know, ordering supplies and doing scheduling and payroll and all this stuff to sort of, it was just me and Caitlin, the roaster. And it was like, okay, well, I'm going to help you in the roastery and we're going to keep this thing going. So I, I learned the production side of it there. And then, um, yeah, then learning to roast is really cool. And just realizing how much of it is, um, you know, I was surprised at how much cupping is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing a lot of practicing with, with that. So I've been honing my skills. I feel like as being a barista for as long as I have, it's like I would rarely be involved in cuppings. It was like maybe once every few months. And then now we're like doing it every couple of days. Um, when Caitlin was training us, we're cupping like every day. So I was like, this is awesome. Like really getting in touch with my palate and taking tons of notes and then realizing how integral that is to the roasting process has been cool. Did you make connections on things you had tasted as a barista or as a manager that you didn't really realize were happening in the roasting process when you got kind of behind the, the fourth wall of the roasting side? Oh yeah, for sure. You start to see some characteristics. You maybe, maybe when a coffee's like a little underdeveloped and you taste it on the cupping table and you're like, oh, okay. Like I'm starting to recognize those sorts of things more often now. And then you start to make mm -hmm. the connections of customers that are like, this tastes like this. You're oh, they're probably tasting that. Cause the mm -hmm. most common was like, this is bitter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've tasted our coffee. They're not, but I kind of, if you're, if, if you're drinking this one, it's probably, it's high acidity coffee. You're probably tasting that. If it's this one, you're probably tasting that, but it's bitter just because for years it's like, if I don't like it, it's coffee. It must be bitter. And you're like pure bitterness is a very distinct flavor profile. <laughs> and it's like a lot of the times, especially when yeah. you're not getting the second crack, it's not going to be the problem with the coffee. And being on the barista side, how involved were, is the barista team in, like, feedback on the coffees? Were you, do you have a lot of people giving feedback, or is it kind of, uh, you know, the roasters making decisions on the flavor profiles and then working with the barista team? Um, Which, again, right now, there's not a barista yeah, team. Right. <laughs> so I keep asking right. questions. I'm like, well... Yeah. What, what do you think, Brad? I'm trying to kind of remember the, the vibe with the staff and when we'd roll out new coffees, how we sort of handled that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't remember as a barista ever having much input in like the flavor notes or the development of the coffee. That was something that I got to experience when I got into the roasting room. Um, but I think like every day when we would dial in pour overs, like we were right down road like flavor notes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's things. a big part of it was we'd yeah. have, we had a morning dial in sheet. So whoever was opening all the baristas would, you know, fill this out, take notes, flavor notes, uh, we're dialing coffees oh, in awesome. with a refractometer. So, I mean, everybody is really hands on with the coffee. Yeah. 
Um, so I think there was a lot of room for feedback and yeah, I yeah. think that's a good way to do it. Cause yeah. I think if you do open it up to everybody, yeah. it's almost, it's, it's that weird psychological phenomenon where you're like, they ask for my opinion. So I have to come up with something yeah. <laughs> like, I have to say something about this. And then when you have an entire team doing it versus yeah. the roasters being like, here's the flavor profile we're going for. Uh, so this is what we're looking for when it's brewed. And then yeah. the baristas are really the ones that are like, Hey, we're trying to dial in this brew to match this flavor profile that we're getting from the roasters as opposed to, do you like this? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> I also remember doing some cuppings where like uh, we'd bring our chef in at the time. Our chef would come in and be a part of a cupping with a new coffee, which was kind of cool because he wasn't really uh, in in coffee, but he had a really good palate from being a chef. So it's like getting somebody else's input who's like on a, on that side, on the food side was cool. Having chefs taste coffee is really strange because so many chefs are like really into super dark roast. It's like this mm. weird phenomenon, that especially like, uh, chefs that come up in French kitchens, you give them light roast and they're like, this is very, <laughs> this is very weak. Uh, and you're like, what do you like? And they tell you, this is like the super, super dark, super oily, like beyond second oh, yeah. crack. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be able yeah. to come together on this. Yeah. The sludge. And, or they do like, I could see how someone would like this. And you're like, huh, I don't, I'm not really <laughs> sure how to interpret that. <laughs> so right, right now, August, they're weird COVID. So What's the best way for someone to support Northern Coffee Works at this point if they're in the neighborhood or otherwise? Uh, yeah, come by the cafe from Tuesday to Saturday, 9 to 2. We'll be meeting you at the front door. You can buy whole beans. You can buy drinks. Uh, you can order our stuff online. We'll ship it to you. Uh, stop in Angry Catfish. They got bags of our beans there. Yep. Yep. You can also go to Midwest Mountaineering. They carry our coffee. Um Anything you can order at our front door, you can also order ahead of time online. Nice. And pick up. So you can you don't have to swing by and like stand and wait. You can order ahead of time and just quick pick it up. Yeah. What are the um, what are the Instagram handles for Northern and Angry? Instagram is at Northern Coffee Works. Okay. Um I don't know if I know the the angry one. I think is it's it? at Angry Catfish. I think it's, yeah, at Angry Catfish. Yeah, if you yeah. type in Angry Catfish, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm yeah. sure not too many things yeah. will pop up. Yeah. Awesome. Is that kind of your main focus on the social media side? Any other uh, big pushes you're going for on that side? Um, just kind of getting people to come hang out. Yeah. Get some coffee. Yeah. I would highly recommend joining that email list because yeah. those events and the deals that go on, you guys do some really awesome events when you can do events and yeah. the, the deals and offers you guys have are awesome. So really appreciate you guys coming by. It's really nice to meet you. And uh, yeah, head to Northern Coffee Works in downtown Minneapolis or Angry Catfish on the south side of Minneapolis. And I'll finish this episode like I do every other one and say, have a nice day. <laughs>